0: lesson is found in Isaiah chapter 11, it's on page 602 in the Old Testament of your pew Bible. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word and for the many people down through the generations who have preserved it and passed it on to us. Grant us your Holy Spirit now as guide and teacher, we pray. Amen. Isaiah chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the whole of the ass. The weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good
1: morning. For a second scripture, I'm only going to read a couple verses out of the book of 1 Samuel, but the sermon is actually based on the story of David, which covers many, many, many chapters in the Old Testament. And so just going to read a couple verses, but encourage you uh, later on today or sometime this week to uh, go to 1 Samuel, read uh, chapters 20, 21, and 22 to get the full picture. So I'll be reading from Chapter 22 of 1 Samuel, verses 1 and 2, page 254. David left there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and all his father's house heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone was in, Everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became captain over them. Those who were with him numbered about four hundred. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy, pleasing, and acceptable to you, O God. Let your spirit dwell in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. It's a very dramatic plot. You see, David was anointed by Samuel, the prophet, to be the next king of Israel while he was still a very young man, a teenager most likely. But the problem, you see, the problem for David was that Israel already had a king named Saul. And Saul wasn't about to just walk away or be a lame duck king. In fact, Saul spends years trying to kill David, who now represents a threat to his crown. And so rather than easing into his future, into his dream as the new king of Israel... David has to run away as Israel's most wanted fugitive. And while much happens during these years while he is on the run, it turns out that mostly what he is doing is waiting. Mostly David waits. Waiting for God's future to unfold in a very tenuous and uncertain present now, there isn't a person here this morning that doesn't know a thing or two about waiting. Maybe, like David, you are waiting for a hope or a promise or a dream to come true. Maybe your waiting has to do with a relationship. Maybe it has to do with your career. Maybe the hope or the dream appears to be in trouble, and like David, you are Worried you're headed in the wrong direction. And that's when waiting can become truly difficult. I'm going to make the main point of this sermon right here, right now, at the beginning, and it is this. That neither David's waiting nor our waiting is ever wasted time. Our waiting is never wasted time. For in fact, it is during the waiting that God molds us and God transforms us so that we become the kind of people who are then ready to receive what it is that we hope and long for. While he waits, David has these three moments, these three encounters that dramatically alter the course of his future, that change him, that change his life. This first moment, this first encounter is an encounter with holiness in the house of God. So after fleeing Jerusalem, the first place that David went was to the city of Nob, where the priest Ahimelech was serving the Lord. And I would love to tell you that David entered this holy place to worship, but David was far too desperate for that. He was hungry and he was afraid The priest asks him, why are you here? David lies. He says that he's on a mission from the king. Then David asks the priest to give him some food for his men, which is also a lie, because at this point, David doesn't have any men. The priest tells him that the only food that was there is the holy bread that is used in worship. David demands this holy bread. The priest gives it to him, and David gobbles it down. Like David, I think this is how many of us approach the house of God, the sanctuary of holiness, desperate and demanding for something to take away the hunger. Not food hunger, of course. A deeper hunger, which is another way of saying a a longing or a yearning. Some of us think we know the source of our hunger, but most of us, we don't. All we know is that Sunday after Sunday, we come to this place with a longing and with a yearning that we often leave unnamed or unspoken, but that we know we haven't been able to get filled by anything or anyone anywhere else and so like david we are on the run from what we have not found outside of this sanctuary like david we come and we want the church to do something about this hunger that is deep inside of us and the church just keeps offering this holy bread this sacrament of grace I think the most important part of this story is that the priest gives the bread to David. He doesn't withhold it because it's going to be used for unholy purposes. He lets the holy bread be used to satisfy the physical hunger of this desperate man who is full of deceit. David did not have holy motives as he ate the holy bread in the sanctuary. Do people come to church? These days, with mixed motives? Certainly. Do people like David come to church, come into this place, come into this sanctuary not wanting, not willing, not able to tell the whole truth about their lives? Of course. The point, though, is that it doesn't matter. The holiness that is found here in this place isn't made less holy because of our mixed motives or because we try and grab at it or because we try and stuff it into our desperation. Not one of us has the power to pollute the holiness of the church, of the table. The holiness is found in Jesus Christ alone and not in us. And so while we wait, while we wait for whatever it is that we are hoping or dreaming for in this season of life, the story of David calls us to come into this place, to come into the sanctuary of holiness, to bring our hunger, to bring our yearning here, and to receive the holiness that we find. After leaving the sanctuary at Nob, David eventually finds himself waiting and alone in a cave at Adalim. It's from the text that I just read. At Nob, David found sanctuary and holiness that he received more than he even realized. While he waits at the cave in Adullam, he finds the sanctuary of community. He's encountered by community. For while he's hiding in this cave, God... Brings 400 men to him. 400 men. Fierce, powerful, confident, highly credentialed men, we would imagine, fit to support and uphold the future king. But no, we are told this is who God brings to David. The text says, everyone who is in distress, everyone who is in debt, Everyone who was discontented came to him. Sounds like quite a party, doesn't it? It's not exactly the most impressive assortment of individuals. And so it has always been the kind of people that God gathers into community. On this worldwide communion Sunday, the church gathers from north and south and east and west, speaking almost every language under the sun. And we take our place at this one table of our Lord. But let each of us be careful to remember that none of us, not one of us here were adopted into the family of God or given a place at this table because we were doing so well. Because we deserve it. Because we have the right credentials. Because God needs our help. No, we gather at this table because we have one thing in common, one thing, we have a need for a Savior. From the beginning, you see, the people of God have been a collection of outsiders, of misfits and knuckleheads, and so it is today. If you've spent any significant time as a member of any church, you'll have noticed something about the faithful who gather there. You'll have noticed that they are flawed. You'll have noticed that they are needy and that they are discontented. And I'm sorry to break the news to you if this is your first time here this morning, but this congregation is no different. Underneath our nice clothes and our polished personas and our dignified presentation... The 400 who gather here at FPC this morning are no different than the 400 who arrived at David's cave. But according to this story, that makes us an incredibly biblical lot. Because God's idea of community always includes those who are distressed, who are in debt, and who are discontented. And I don't know about you, but this is a tremendous relief for me. In the words of the Apostle Paul, consider your brothers and sisters, consider your call. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus. He is the source of our life. As a community of people gathered here who are all in some way flawed and needy and and discontent about something, we have this promise that Jesus joins us, that Jesus meets us in those places. And Christ is the one who changes us. We're told in 1 Chronicles 12 that this unimpressive little community of 400 who were gathered to David's cave eventually was transformed into some of his finest supporters and men. And the process of change continues for us. For we are not what we appear to be, we are what we are called to be. And it is only in community that we reach our potential. For though we are often in this life called to wait, we are never called to wait alone. Eventually, David and his 400 men leave the cave at Adalam, and they move into another cave at Engid. And this cave is another sanctuary. It was another moment, another encounter for David to be changed, to be transformed, while he awaited for God's promise to unfold. David spent time in the sanctuary of holiness. He received holiness He spent time in the sanctuary of community and received community. He was changed by these things. And now in this final moment, this encounter, David is changed as he is willing to surrender. While David and his 400 men are running from Saul and his 3,000 men, David and his men hide in this new cave. And not realizing that they were in there, Saul strolls into this cave by himself. David's men can't believe their luck. Here is Saul. Here is our enemy. And they encourage David just to go and kill him and get it over with. But David refuses and he says, How can I raise my hand against the Lord's anointed? And so instead, this is what he does. He sneaks up behind Saul While Saul is sitting down and and David cuts off a piece of Saul's cloak. And then when Saul leaves the cave, David runs out after him and he holds up the cloak and he exclaims, My Lord, Saul, king, see the corner of your cloak in my hand. Know this day that my hand will never rise up against you. And this broke the old king who responds, You are more righteous than I For you have repaid me good for evil. Now I know that you shall surely be king. What happens here? I think what's happening is that while David is waiting for the faithfulness of God to unfold in his life, he knows that he is called to surrender control. That he's called to let go of his own agenda. Because you see, David could have taken matters into his own hands at this moment. He could have eliminated his enemy. He could have put an end to his running and his waiting with just one twist of the knife. It would have been the pragmatic, expedient course of action. But somehow David knew that to act in this way would not be an act of faith. We are all tempted to take shortcuts when we get tired of waiting, especially when it seems As if God's faithfulness and the fulfillment of God's promises are remote or a long way off, we would rather take matters into our own hands. And so, like David, we are challenged to surrender our demands upon God's timing for our lives. To surrender our demands upon God's timing for our lives. And instead, lean into a trust in God's goodness and faithfulness. Because raise your hand if you think that you know what you need and when you need it better than God does. Anyone? Then why do we act as if this is the case? Why do we act if this, as if this is the case? Why do we find it so difficult to surrender our agendas, our our sense of timing, our hopes, our lives, to the one who made us and calls us and holds us and who simply asks that we trust and keep faith. Life is full of waiting. We all know what it means to wait. And I think God designed it that way. We will always have big hopes and dreams that await fulfillment in a near or distant future. David certainly did. But if we take our cue from David, we see that there is much that is significant and important and critical that is happening in the meantime while we wait. Because as we wait for the faithfulness of God to unfold in our lives, we are invited into a process of transformation that shapes us and that deepens our faith. In the meantime, we're called to care for those that God puts in our path, including our enemy. In the meantime, while we wait, there is giving, there is generosity, there is hospitality to share. In the meantime, while we wait, there is forgiveness to offer and forgiveness to receive. In the meantime, while we wait, there is holiness that is offered to us. There is a community here that gathers that we are called to love. And on this World Communion Sunday, we come to this table as pilgrims, joined together with brothers and sisters around the world to feast at a table of grace that is a sign and seal of God's promised kingdom that was inaugurated in Jesus Christ And that awaits fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so we feast. And while we feast, we wait. And while we wait, we are changed. Thanks be to God.